Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy 2.15 and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton. And welcome back this week to everyone. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. I'm your host, Michelle Mix. And I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, David Reed. And our host, uh, Pamela Lampton, is out today. Uh, she did have some dental surgery, so I hope she's healing well from that. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and open up in prayer. Um, Michael, can you open us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings you sent our way. Uh, Lord, we uh, thank you for being able to talk to LJ in St. Louis. Uh and discuss the word with him. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity to spread your word uh, through this uh, radio broadcast, and that, that the uh, listeners will gain knowledge and understanding of your word. And we thank you again for your many blessings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. And, oh, no, uh, now this would be the time I would say to uh, Pam do you have any questions for us? So what are we going to do now if we don't have questions? Yeah, I'll answer that for you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Let's see. We have a, a question from a listener. And the question is, when a person experiences bad times or situations in their life and someone says, that must have been God's will for that to happen. I am talking about someone dying recently, and they said this. So is, it, so is it God's will for bad things to come into someone's life? And David, maybe you could answer that. Sure. So this is a, a common experience that folks have. You know, we all go through troubles in life, right? There's storms and there's trials and there's problems. One of the things that people often say is, when something bad happens, well, it's, it's God's will. And, and that when they say that, the idea is to give people a little bit of peace about it because God intended for it to happen and therefore, um, you know, it's okay. But l let's spend a little bit of time thinking about God's will, actually. And uh, I'll, I'll start with this point. Not everything that happens on earth, not every event is God's will. Uh, as, as proof of that, there are several things that happen that are just chance. They weren't planned by God. They just randomly occurred. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. God, God's in control. God controls everything that happens. Well, is that what the scripture says? So, let, let's look at a couple verses if we could. So, Michael, could you read for us Deuteronomy 22, verse 6? All righty. If a bird's nest chance to be before thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether there be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon them, on the young, or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take them, take the dam with the young. So, what's fascinating, of course, uh, 
uh, when you look at the Old Testament, it has commands about all kinds of things. People think, you know, the Bible has the Ten Commandments, and that's pretty much it. No, it, it commands a lot of different things under the Old Testament law, and it tells you what to do when you find a bird's nest. Now, the interesting thing in this verse for our purposes right now is what the verse actually says, if a bird's nest chants to be before thee in the way. So as you're strolling along, as you're going about your daily life, does God foreordain every little cricket that crosses your path? Does he foreordain, you know, when animals fly in a certain direction? Well, it it doesn't say that. It says the opposite of that, right? In other words, the bird's nest was there by chance, wasn't planned, wasn't predestinated, wasn't foreordained. It just happened to be there. Michelle, could you read Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11? Sure. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to be the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to the men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happened to them all. What happens to all according to that verse? Time and chance. There are things that happen that are just random events that are not pre-planned. You know, for example, people, you know, get struck by lightning. People slip and fall. Uh, there's, There's accidents that happen in life. There's things that occur, and God didn't plan all of them. He just didn't, if, you know, if, if we're going to go by what the scriptures say. Uh, Luke 10.31, Michael, could you read that for us? Already. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, in, in Luke 10, what we're reading there is we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And the person that's actually speaking is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't happen to believe the red letters are more important than the black letters because we think every word in the Word of God is important. So, we think they're all equally valid. But notice that in Luke 10, the Lord is speaking. So, the Lord Jesus Christ himself believes in chance, right? Mm -hmm. It says, and by chance, there came down a certain priest, which means that here's what happens in life. There are lots of things that occur just by chance or randomly because God has given people free will. He's given men free will. He's given animals free will, and things just happen. Now, what I I hope that clarifies, we looked at three different verses. There's others, but you understand, of course, that chance is a Bible concept. Not everything is foreordained. The reason why that matters, people sometimes look at the events of life, and what they say is, God intended this to happen. He meant for this event to happen. Well, you have to start from the from the very foundational point. God doesn't intend everything that happens. Does he know everything? Yes, he knows everything. Can he accomplish whatever he wants? Yes, he can. But does he decide and purpose every little event that happens? No, he doesn't. And so, <clears throat> let, let me give you a spe- another specific example. So, a lot of times what will happen is a tragedy will befall someone, and people will say, well, that's God's will. Well, well, think about this with me just for a minute. How does God feel about sin? He's against sin, right? Mm -hmm. 
So for example, let's say that someone is assaulted or even worse, murdered. Was that God's will? It, it, it can't be God's will because God is not in favor of murder. He specifically says, thou shalt not murder. So what that tells you is there's a lot of things that happen on this earth that are not because they're God's will. They're because God has given man free will and man makes choices. Not all those choices are good. So there's a lot of events that happen on earth that are not God's will. But let's look at Romans 8.28. Michelle, could you read that? Sure. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This verse tells us how to think about things. What it says is all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good, right? It's not true that all things are good. There's lots of things that are not good, but all things work together for good. Well, how can that be? So here's what happens. If if a tragedy befalls you as they do, right? So let's just assume like, for example, that um, someone is harmed by another human being. That was not God's will. We know that because God doesn't intend for evil things to happen. But can God, through his grace, work it for good? Mm-hmm. Yes, he can. The original act wasn't good, but God can work it for good because his grace is so powerful. You, you're probably familiar with this passage, but in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul has his thorn in the flesh, he besought the Lord thrice. In other words, three times he said, Lord, please take away this thorn. This thorn is driving me crazy. And what did the Lord say? He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, Paul, that thorn, that aggravation that you have, that problem, you're going to have it. I'm not going to get rid of it. But God's grace is sufficient to deal with it. This is an important principle because let's just be honest about life. In life, you're going to deal with health problems. In life, you're likely going to deal with economic problems. You're going to deal with societal problems. You may deal with persecution. I mean, there's, there's a lot of troubles on this earth because it's the sin curse earth. God never said, I'm going to make all the troubles disappear. He's not going to do that on this earth because this earth still has men that, are, that have free will. But his grace is sufficient for the troubles of life. So the answer to the question, uh, are all of the the bad things that happen in life, are those God's will? No, they're they're not God's will because he's he's not in favor of sin. But is God's grace great enough that God can make good come out of it? Yes, he can do that. And he does do that. The key thing for all of us is we just need to walk in God's grace. Right. Very good. Yeah, and that, and, and the, for those that, that joined us early on Facebook and, and heard um, LJ's uh, testimony, um, you know, that really reminds what you've just said, really reminds me of what he was saying, too, because um, for him, uh, God's grace is what helps him wake up every day. It's what in, he, you know, living, you know, a little bit rougher life, he's able to find that blessing in that meal that he was able to eat today. You know, he uh, received money that he can go buy his meal. Um, so he's, you know, um, 
you know, it's not where it just automatically makes you, you know, wealthy and everything's perfect in life. And but even how LJ sees it is he's receiving those blessings for his acceptance of um, God's grace, you know, by accepting that death, burial, and resurrection. So, so that just really, you know, blessed me too, because um, hearing that from somebody who, you know, uh, we look at as he has rougher life, you know, than us and, but how happy he was. Yeah, he has joy in his life. Mm-hmm. He is very joyful. Um, yeah. That's something we all need to aspire to be. Yeah, that's right. Yes. All right. Well, that was a good question uh, that came in. And actually, I think that question is kind of leading to what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, let's jump okay. right in. Okay. So let's talk further about the will of God. And, and we want to talk specifically about how to know the will of God. This is a question that people always ponder. And they typically ponder it in the context of decision making. So in other words, should I marry this person or that person? Should I take this job or that job? Should I move to this city or that city? What is God's will for my life? Many people wonder that. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time looking at the scriptures, and we're going to study those things that scripture specifically says are the will of God. And so what I'd like to do, I'll start with this. So Michael, if you could do 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, and Michelle, if you could do 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, um, we're going to look at those verses, and those verses tell us something that is explicitly said to be God's will. So, Michael, when you're ready, why don't you read 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthen, our brother, brother. and Michelle, yep, that's perfect, and Michelle, can you do 2 Corinthians 1.1? Sure. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, which are all Achia. So, and, and we're not going to read it for the sake of time, but Ephesians 1.1, Colossians 1.1, and 2 Timothy 1.1 will all say the same thing, which is this. Paul was an apostle by the will of God. Now, why does that matter? Well, what's the name of this program? The name of this program is Why Paul? Mm-hmm. And when you read the Bible, it's clear that Paul has a special ministry that is given for the dispensation of grace for the time period in which we live. What's really interesting to notice is that the phrase will of God only occurs 23 times in all of scripture. So it's not a very common phrase, but five of those times In other words, more than 20% of the time that Scripture uses the will of God, it's talking about Paul's apostleship. The reason why this matters is what is so common today is Paul's apostleship is, is not really recognized. People think that, well... Peter and Paul, they just taught the same message. Paul came along a little later because he was stubborn, but they basically had the same ministry. Well, that is completely wrong. Paul was specifically chosen to be an apostle, and he was given a new message. He was given new revelation. Why that matters is this. If you're going to walk the way God wants you to walk today, 
you need to understand Paul's apostleship. That was an extremely important fact revealed in the scriptures, and we need to understand the revelation given to Paul for our benefit. So now what we're going to turn to next is we're going to look at some other things that are specifically said to be the will of God. So, Michael, if you could turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and read verses 3 and 4. All righty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So 1 Timothy 2 tells us two things that are critically important for our lives. God's will is that all men be saved and they come to the knowledge of the truth. So he wants them to be saved because he wants them to have eternal life. He wants to be them in, with him in heaven forever. And that makes sense. That's his desire for everyone. But he also desires that we come under the knowledge of the truth. So he doesn't just want us to be saved and lacking in understanding. He wants us to be saved and then to know what he would have us to do. God has purposes for our lives, and those are revealed in his word. Michelle, could you read Romans chapter 12, verse 2? And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what that passage is telling us is God desires for us to know the will of God. And the way that we learn that is we have to be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds. Let me make a point on here that I think is is often overlooked. What people will sometimes do is they will look for a circumstantial or an experiential guidance in their life. And here's what I mean by that. They will wait for God to speak to them and tell them something, or they will have an experience or an emotion or a sensation, and they'll conclude, this is what God wants me to do. What Romans 12, 2 says is that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, the way that we are transformed, the way that we grow is through the knowledge of the Word of God. If you want to know God's will, it's not simply by experience, and it's not really by experience at all. It's not by circumstance. It's by reading the words on the page, and it's by reading the words on the page that we can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, what I hope you're noticing is this. These verses that we're looking at tell us about the revealed will of God. And what do I mean by revealed? What I mean is simply this. You know how you can know what God's will is? He wrote it down. He, he wrote it down in a book, and he preserved it for us. And often, it specifically says that this is the will of God. Well, that's, that's, that's obviously a clue. I mean, that's obviously guidance that that's what the will of God is. Michael, can you look at Colossians 4, verse 12, and read that? All right. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect 
and complete in all the will of God. So God's desire is that we're perfect, we're mature and complete in all the will of God. Well, if we learn the will of God from God's word, what that means is we're going to need to study it and study it and study it so that we learn exactly what it is that God would have us to do. Now, the next thing we're going to look at here is a very specific instruction, and it's an example of something that uh, is true for for all of us, irrespective of circumstance. So this is uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Michelle, can you read that? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. So God wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be set apart for his purposes. One of the things that will happen, if you teach grace, someone will say, well, what you're saying is it's okay if you sin. You can live like the devil because it's grace, and so it doesn't matter how you live. Well, that's not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches that God's will is our sanctification, that we are set apart for God's purposes, not that we walk in our flesh and we walk in evil deeds. And in fact, if, if you look at what Titus 2 verse 11 says, I'm going to just turn there quickly, but Titus 2 verse 11 tells us how to think about the grace of God. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, notice what it says, teaching us. Here's what God's grace teaches. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. See, grace doesn't really teach us to live in a way that's sinful. Grace teaches us to live soberly and righteously and godly. That's what God's word would have us to do. Michael, could you read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 and 6? All righty. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. And then read, read verse 6 also. Not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So this is a very practical verse because this verse affects our work life, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And what it tells us is servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. So not our masters in an eternal sense, but there are masters in a, in a temporal sense, right? In an earthly sense. And it says that we're to do that in singleness of heart as unto Christ. Now, earthly masters are not the same as Jesus Christ. We know that. Uh, he's holy and perfect in God, and they're none of those things. But are we supposed to serve them in singleness of heart? And the command is that we are to do that. Notice what verse 6 said, not with eye service as men pleasers. I'm going to say a phrase here, and it's a phrase we all know. When the cat's away, the mice will play, mm -hmm. right? And so when the cat's not around, the mice just do whatever they want. Well, is there a difference when the boss is in the shop or in the office and when the boss is not? Is there a difference in the amount of work that gets done? Well, you all know the answer to that, don't you? Sure do. But, but scripturally, is that the way it should be? That's not the way it should be uh, because we're not to do eye service. In other words, sure, I'll, I'll obey and I'll work hard when he's watching, 
Mm-hmm. But when he's not, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to kick back. That's, that's what human nature wants to do, isn't it? But the command that's given to us is not to do it that way, but to think of it as we're serving Christ. And then it says, doing the will of God from the heart. Here's the key thing to notice about this. We too often evaluate things based on circumstance, right? In other words, I like this job or I don't like this job. I like this boss or I don't like this boss. I like the project or I don't. And then my work uh, level, my effort depends upon how much I like the, the, the thing that I'm doing, right? Well, scripture says that's, that's the wrong way to think of it. You need to think that in whatever you're doing, you're serving Christ. And you then should do that in singleness of heart. Now, by the way, that, that's a very comforting verse because you know what that means? My job, whatever it is, however menial or, or how difficult or how little valued by the world, are there some jobs that the world looks down on? Mm-hmm. There are. Are there jobs that uh, people think are you know, lowly jobs and unimportant jobs? There are. But here's the truth of the matter. If you're in Christ and you're performing one of those jobs, you can perform that job as unto Christ. And that act is a holy act. That is, that is something that pleases God, something that he desires for us to do. Now, this, I, the reason why you know, this is so freeing, so think about this. When you think of Ephesians 6, 5 through 6, and talks about doing the will of God from the heart, that doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where on earth you are doesn't matter your health condition, right? In other words, this is, this is something that is God's will throughout all the circumstances of your life. It doesn't change. And my point in saying that is, as we're looking at these verses about the will of God, there are certain things God has revealed that are true across time. They never change. God's desire is always for all men to be saved. His desire is always for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. His desire is for all men to be sanctified. His desire is for all of us to serve our our masters in singleness of heart. And what what I hope you're noticing is this. People think about the will of God circumstantially. In other words, should I make this decision or should I make that decision? Should I take this path or should I take that path? Well, what what scripture actually tells you often is here are some things that are universally true that we should all do every moment of the day. Never changes. Let's look at another one. Uh, This is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Michelle, could you read that? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, let's consider that verse just for a minute. In everything, give thanks. Well, that means you should give thanks when you have the flat tire. That means you should give thanks when you have health troubles. You should give thanks when you have financial troubles, when you have interpersonal troubles. I mean, we, we all have them, don't we? I mean, there's life, it's life on earth. This earth has problems. We all have troubles. It's all, you know, that's just the human condition. And what we often do, what do we if we're honest, you know what we do the most? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Mm-hmm. You know, why do I have to get a flat tire? I always get a flat tire at the worst time. It's always, you know, it always happens on a bad day, right? Why does this always happen to me? And we're very, 
very good at engaging in self-pity, right? We're, we're, we're sort of whiners. I mean, if we're just being honest about these things. But if you think about what this verse is saying, when it says in everything, give thanks, Let's say I get a flat tire. Let's say I get a bad medical diagnosis or a bad financial reversal of fortune, whatever it is. If the Lord Jesus Christ has given me all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, which is what Ephesians 1.3 says he did, then there's nothing on earth that happens that's that big a deal. I mean, if we're just being honest about it, if you're going to live for eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are, if you're in the body of Christ, then it really doesn't matter what earthly problems exist. And that's why the verse says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. doesn't matter what country you're in. doesn't matter your health or your finances or anything else. Now, I want to, we've just looked at a bunch of verses that were explicitly said to be the will of God. I now want to show you something, and that is this. When when in First Thessalonians 5.18, it says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. I want you to notice that when scripture commands us to do something, that is the will of God, even if it doesn't say this is the will of God. So here's, here's how I'm going to prove that. Michael, can you read First Thessalonians 5.16 and 17 and 18? And then Michelle, can you read verses 19, 20, 21, and 22? Okay. Alrighty. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearances of evil. Now we'll take verse 18 first, but then we're going to look at the other verses. So when verse 18 says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God, well, obviously that's the will of God because it specifically said it was the will of God, right? So we know it's the will of God to give thanks. But let's go up to verse 16 just for a minute. Rejoice evermore. Now, it doesn't say rejoice evermore, this is the will of God, but let's just understand what the sentence is saying. Rejoice is a verb, And the noun, the subject of that sentence is you. It's the understood you, right? In other words, if I I look at Michael and I say, close the door, it's really a a command, right? It's an imperative where I'm saying to Michael, you, the person I'm looking at, close the door. It's 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 an instruction. It's a command. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, that command is the will of God. In other words, God doesn't tell you to do things that he doesn't want you to do. If he tells you something... He wants you to do it. It's his will. So once you understand that principle, there are the way to understand the will of God is you read the word of God and the things that he tells you to do, those are his will. So let's talk about verse 16 just for a minute. Rejoice evermore. How can you rejoice evermore many bad things that happen on the earth? Well, the reason why is you know that the things that happen on earth are temporal, but what you have in Christ is eternal. And since what you have for eternity outweighs that which is just for a moment, it's it's proper to rejoice in that. 
Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Does that say pray without ceasing if you're in a certain geographical location? Does it say pray without ceasing if you feel like it? No, it's, it's, it's obviously a universal command that never goes away. It's something that's God's will for our life in the midst of all of our circumstances and situations in which we find ourselves. Now, all the things we've looked at so far are what I'm calling the revealed will of God. In other words, God specifically told us to do it in the scriptures, so obviously it's his will that we do that. I now want to make a a transition, and we're going to look at some things that are the unrevealed will of God. In other words, it's not recorded in the scriptures. So we'll look at a couple verses on this, and we'll start in Romans 1.10. Michael, could you read that for us? Making request, if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So Romans 1.10 talks about the will of God. And because it talks about the will of God, you might think it's very similar to the verses that we just read. Mm -hmm. But let's notice how it's phrased. Making request, if... Well, if is conditional, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. See, Paul didn't say, I'm going to travel to see you, and I know I will have a prosperous journey. He didn't say, I'm certain I'll have a prosperous journey. He says, I might. And what he's talking about there is, He's hoping that God will cause it to be a prosperous journey, but he doesn't know that it will be for sure. And and think about this with me just for a moment. That's the Apostle Paul speaking. The Apostle Paul wasn't sure how his journey was going to go. Let's look at another example of this. Look with me at Romans 15, verse 32. And Michelle, if you could read that. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may be with you, be refreshed. Now, this verse says that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. Was it guaranteed? It, it, it wasn't guaranteed. He was hopeful that it would be the case, but it wasn't guaranteed. It was going to depend how the situation worked itself out. Let's look at another one of these. Uh, let's do 1 Corinthians 16, verse 7. And uh, Michael, if if you could read that. Okay. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permits. I don't know if you've ever watched folks on uh, TV pray, but they spend a lot of time bossing God around, right? Mm -hmm. They tell God to do this, and they tell God to do that, and God up in heaven is just following whatever commands these people tell them to do at the time is what they think. Now, obviously, it doesn't work that way. Notice how the Apostle Paul prayed, and this is in inspired scripture. He says, I trust, you know, I hope to do this, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. But I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. Did Paul know how the next day was going to go? He didn't. Did he know exactly what God's will in the situation that he found himself in? Did he know how that was going to play out? No, he didn't. 
So contrast this with for, for a minute. He said in First Thessalonians, in everything, give thanks. Well, in everything, that means every situation, right? Doesn't matter mm-hmm. what the situation is, give thanks. First Corinthians 16, verse 7, I'll tarry with you if the Lord permit. In other words, it's not up to me, and I don't really know. There are aspects of life that we just don't know how the circumstances are going to play out. I want to give you what I think is the the greatest example of that, and it's found in the book of Philemon. And so Philemon is is Paul's last epistle. It's his shortest epistle. And um, here's, here's the situation. Here's the background. We won't read the whole book, but let me just lay it out for you. So Paul, in the course of his travels, comes across a, a servant named Onesimus. And Onesimus had run away from his master. So he flees from his master, and he bumps into the apostle Paul. And after he bumps into the apostle Paul, he gets saved. Well, here's what turns out to be the case. Onesimus had a master named Philemon that Paul knew. So if you step back and think about this, this is sort of remarkable. There's someone that Paul specifically knows. Paul's in a different city. That man's servant decides, I'm going to run away from my master. I'm going to leave. And he flees. And then he happens to bump into Paul and he gets saved. And so then Paul has to figure out, well, what do I do? Because Onesimus has gotten saved. I'd like for him to stay and do the work of the ministry with me because he would be a great help. But really, the, the right thing to do is for him to make amends with his master. It, it seemed like Onesimus may have stolen or harmed his master because Paul talks about if he oweth anything, put that to, to Paul's account. So what Paul does is rather than writing a letter to Philemon and say, Philemon, good news. I bumped into Onesimus and he got saved and he's going to do the work of the ministry with me. So you're okay if I keep him, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're going to take a break here, but you know, hold tight because we're going to come back and see the resolution of this story. Okay, great. All right, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. 
Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul and welcome back i'm your host michelle mix i'm your host uh, michael mix and i'm your host david reed And uh, just a a reminder that we have 14th Street Ministries. We're a listener-supported ministry. We are all volunteers, no payroll, and your donations are most appreciated. So if you would like to support this ministry and to help out paying for our broadcast programming time, you can send donations to 14th Street Ministries at 366 Woods Avenue, Newark, Ohio, 43055. Now, we've been waiting to hear the rest of what you were going to tell us. The rest of the story. Yes. Here we go. Yes, no offense to Paul Harvey. Yeah. <laughs> so, just to reset the stage. So, in the book of Philemon, uh, Paul in his travels comes across a runaway servant named Onesimus. And that, that servant gets saved through Paul's ministry. And Paul would like him to continue with him and help in the work of the ministry. But Paul sends him back to his master, Philemon, uh, because he doesn't want to force Philemon to give him up. He wants Philemon to make that free choice. That's how grace works. In other words, he didn't want to coerce him into making a decision. He wanted him to have free will. Mm -hmm. Now, what's so fascinating about this, look at verse 15 in Philemon. It's Philemon verse 15. Paul says this, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. In other words, what what Paul's saying is, Philemon, maybe here's what happened. Yeah, he departed from serving you for a season, for a period of time, but hallelujah, guess what? You now have a brother in Christ who's saved and you'll enjoy a relationship with him forever. Now, what's what's interesting about this is Paul says, perhaps. Why does that matter? Here's what would be easy to do, and here's what people do all the time. What people do all the time is they look at the circumstances of life, and if they like the circumstances, they say, God did this, and if they don't like it, they say, the devil did it, right? 
Mm-hmm. If I like it, then it must be God's doing. And if I don't, then it was the devil's attack. Well, that's that's sort of superstitious, isn't it? What, what happens here, and, and just think about this, Paul is the apostle of the Gentiles. He's the one that was given the, the, the revelation of the mystery of the dispensation of grace. There is someone that's lost who bumps into him and gets saved. If there's anything that looks like it's clearly God's will, isn't it that? Because Paul was an apostle by the will of God. God desires all men to be saved. Here's a lost person bumping into the apostle of Gentiles and getting saved. That just seems like surely God foreordained that or planned that or orchestrated it because it just seems too perfect. But what Paul says about that is he doesn't say, God orchestrated this situation. What he says is, perhaps. The lesson for us is this. We need to be very careful about looking at our situation and saying, well, this situation, I know what it is. It's a situation I like or I understand, so this is God's will. Even the Apostle Paul didn't do that, even when it pertained to people getting saved, because he understood that God had not revealed that part of his will. What God has revealed of his will is recorded in the scriptures. As to the circumstances, we don't know whether they're the will of God or not, because that hasn't been revealed. Now, why does that matter? I'm going to tell you why that matters. I'm going to suggest to you the following is true. When people think about the will of God, They think about it in a situational context. I'm in a situation where I have to decide which job to take. I'm in a situation where I have to decide whether I buy this house or that house. Do I rent? Do I buy? Do I marry this person or that person? Do I go to this school or that school? And what they're looking for is they're looking for God to say, it's my will that you go to this school or that you buy this car or whatever. The problem is, There's no verse that says that. There's no verse that says Michelle needs to buy a new Ford. There's no verse that says that. Instead, what has to happen is Michelle, as she uses her intellect and as she studies the word of God, she has to apply that to the situations of life. She has to make decisions using her God-given intelligence and what she understands from the word of God. There's no finger that appears out of heaven and points and says, go here. It doesn't work that way. So when we're thinking about decision-making, I would suggest this. We're too focused on the situations and the circumstances. And what we instead need to be is this. There are some universal principles about God's will. He wants all men to be saved. He wants all to come under the knowledge of the truth. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to serve in singleness of heart. He wants to give us to give thanks in, in everything. If we would focus our attention on doing those things, our spiritual life would be much healthier than focusing on the unknowable things about the circumstances of life. Let's turn to the book of Jonah. And I want to show you a couple things more principles about decision-making. So, uh, Michael, could you look at Jonah chapter one, and could you read the first five verses of Jonah? Okay. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amedi, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like a broken, likened to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. Now let's unpack what's going on in those verses. Many folks have the idea that I prayed about this decision and I had peace with it. And since I had inner peace, then my decision must be the right one. And what they're doing is they're operating based upon their emotions, how they feel about the decision. But notice carefully what happens in Jonah chapter one. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. And it's interesting if you look on a map, what Jonah actually does is he doesn't say, I'm not going to Nineveh. He doesn't sit at home. He actually gets on a ship and goes in the opposite direction. So God told him to go one way and he says, no, I'm going that way. So he, it's, it's, it's rebellion, right? He's literally mm-hmm. going as far out of God's will as he can. You want me to go this way? I'm going the other way. Well, then what happens is there's a great wind and the, the sea becomes quite dangerous. And now what's, what's fascinating about this is it's called, it's called a mighty tempest in the sea. And it says in verse five, the mariners were afraid. So in other words, the folks that were regularly at sea, the seamen, they were afraid. In other words, this was quite a storm. It wasn't just some small thing. It was a huge thing. And so it's so bad that they're crying under their God and they're throwing the cargo into the sea, which they're obviously not going to, it's not going to be a successful voyage, right? If you throw the cargo into the sea, you're not going to make money on that trip. But they're so concerned about the storm, they're literally throwing the, the cargo overboard. Well, what's Jonah doing in the midst of this? He's napping right? He's down into the sides of the ship and he's fast asleep. He's at peace. He's comfortable in the midst of the sea, even while he's in direct rebellion against God, right? Because he's going the opposite direction from where God told him to go. Now, my point in showing you all that is, doesn't that tell you you can't go by what you feel about things? Jonah was peaceful and content and resting when he was in defiance of God's will. Let me show you another verse that will help prove the point. Uh, Michelle, if you could help, could you read Jeremiah 17, verse 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Have you ever heard people say that, you know, they have comfort because they followed their heart Mm -hmm. and their heart told them something they wanted to do, and so they were comfortable with it, and so they, they know it's the right decision. Well, let's, let's just be honest for a minute. 
have you ever really, really, really wanted to do something and you know it's wrong? The yeah. answer is yes, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, that's It's because our hearts are not perfect, are they? And there's times where our hearts want to do things that we hadn't ought to do. The purpose of the purpose of me showing you these verses is this. What these verses tell you is you can't be comfortable. You can't know that you're doing the right thing simply because you feel peace about it, simply because your heart says it's okay, because you can't always trust your heart. The verse says that it's deceitful. It lies. It's desperately wicked. Get with me Romans 10, verse 17. Romans 10, verse 17. And Michael, if you have it, do you want to go ahead and read it? Okay. The life of faith is to make decisions on the basis of a verse. Or you want me? Oh, yeah. L- let me read ten seventeen. Yeah. So, okay. so I was uh, I jotted a note. <laughs> yeah. Romans ten seventeen. Yep. Back up there. Yeah. So then, faith cometh by hearing, <laughs> and hearing by the word of God. Now, just pause for a minute. Have you ever heard someone say? Well, we don't have money to build this building, but we're going to step out in faith and God's going to provide. Well, there's no verse that says to build a building when you don't have money. Um, what Romans ten seventeen says is faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, which means faith is always dependent upon the word of God. Faith is always dependent on a verse. Faith isn't just what you want to do. Faith is dependent upon a verse. So let me wrap it up by saying this. What we need to do with the will of God is we need to make our decisions on the basis of a verse, not circumstance, not emotion. Yeah, and a lot of times we make decisions, uh, we think that it's God's will or whatever, and it turns into being a disaster. So I don't know how you get out of that. Well, and I, th- I think with, with that too, it, um, I think uh, it's a comfort factor to some people, especially as our very beginning question, that person was asking because someone had passed away. So they were, well, that was the will of God. So I think a lot of times people turn that into, well, that was the will of God as a comfort. Yes. But it's not, it's it's not scripturally accurate. And so it's a, it's a false crutch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or they'll say, um, I've prayed for the will of God, and then you'll ask them, well, have you studied the Word of God? And no, they don't study it. They think that God's going to speak to them some other way other than through His Word. Right. That's the danger. Yeah. Well, amen. That's what we wanted to cover tonight. Um, How do you get saved? That's You'd say by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for sin. It's not our works, but it's his grace. And the moment you trust the blood he shed for you, you're eternally saved. It's that simple. That free gift. That free gift. And we'll hear more uh, next week. I think we'll be back in Ephesians. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com and please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. Yeah.